as long as I believed in what I was selling, that I thought it was going to benefit the person who was going to buy it, then I felt really good about it. And the moment I tried to sell something I didn't believe in, it was excruciating. Welcome to a bonus episode of Daring to Tell. Instead of hearing a writer read their true story of personal daring, today I talk with another podcaster about how podcasting helps them meet their writing goals. I am Michelle Rado. Nothing's gonna make me brave. And nothing's gonna make me brave. Nothing's gonna make me brave except doing what makes me scared. I have discovered on this little writing podcasting adventure that I am on that the goal for each of these endeavors is pretty much the same thing to seek out either a reader or a listener and connect with them. And not just any person, but the right person. The person who is primed, ready, ripe to hear your story, well, my story, the message or the nugget of what I have to say. So when it comes to promotion and the marketing side of the business, Lots of people are out there trying to sell you on their ways to reach and grow your audience. For me, the old-fashioned wisdom of growing your audience one person at a time is what I pretty much try and adhere to, and today is a great example of that. I am talking with one of those listeners, Jody Sperling. I met him in the most unlikely of places on Twitter— I say that only because I know so many writers who shudder at the number of followers they're told they need to get on social media in order to be viable, to be published, and all that. Myself among them, certainly. Um, But not Jody. I had been following him on Twitter for a short while, which had led me to check out his podcast. And one day, I noticed a little tech problem in my true radio producer form, I rushed to my phone and alerted him immediately, you've got a problem in your most recent episode. He responded with gratitude and this. I want to start this episode again with a shout out and a huge thank you to Michelle Rado from the Daring to Tell podcast. She checked out my show and had some nice things to say, but she told me about a major tech issue that I was unaware existed. Michelle, thank you so much for pointing that out. I would have never known about it if somebody from social media hadn't reached out to me and let me know what was going on. I'm going to drop a link to the Daring to Tell show in my show notes, so please check it out. I was just listening to her episode, A Hard Silence, an AIDS story with Melanie Brooks. With that, a connection was forged. So, with that as an introduction, here is the next in my conversations with writer-podcasters about the other side of the writing life, connecting with an audience. Jody Sperling, welcome to Daring to Tell. I'm excited that we have a chance to talk today. Yeah, I'm so excited as well. I've been enjoying your work for a long time, so it's great to, to speak in person. Thank you. Well, I guess I noticed you on Twitter, which... I need to completely congratulate you for because I think I started following you in the time period where I recently learned that you made it to 10,000 followers (laughs) on Twitter. So that is no small feat. And 
I love the way you did it too, because you do it by asking very interesting, thought-provoking questions. And I've been trying to get a little noticed on Twitter myself. I'm more trying to like put my toe in the water and see what feels comfortable. And I've started answering people's questions, but you are asking them Hmm. a lot every day. So we can talk a little bit more about Twitter. But first, I just want to say your podcast is called The Reluctant Book Marketer. Yeah. And I wonder... Are you really reluctant? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, um, You know what? I I am more so than I think I come across. What has happened to me is that I wrote a novel that I was really proud of, and it was good enough to attract a literary agent. Congratulations. Can I just say that is no small feat, that (laughs) alone. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So I, I signed with Annie Baumke in 2019, And I thought, I am going to be a published author. It's just a matter of time. And as we sent it out to all the usual suspects and heard nothing, no requests for the full manuscript, no revise and resubmit, just crickets, I started to really wonder what's going on because I think there can't be that big of a discrepancy between her taste and the industry's taste. Mm -hmm. But what I did start to realize is that I had relied so much on the quality of my writing and so little on me as a person, who I was and what that could do to get a book out there that at that time I had no Twitter. I had friends and family only kind of a Facebook and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And in this industry, it really is who you know. And unfortunately, I had done nothing to know anyone. So mm-hmm. uh, it's 2022, and I do not have a book deal. So <laughs> Right. Well, I didn't know all of that story. I sort of suspected that you had a novel. I wasn't sure how far yeah. along you were. So that's pretty cool. And I think that this whole story is one that is very common as I, you know, spend more time on Twitter and also with other writers who are either shopping manuscripts to editors or trying to find agents and all of that to try and sell ourselves or market ourselves or build a platform or whatever we want to call it to acquire the number of followers that we need and anytime I think I ever check in about what that number is it goes up yeah and so that is sort of counterintuitive with many of us who I'll not use this intentionally dare to call ourselves (laughs) writers which I still feel like myself you know I'm working on a memoir I am trying to get a few things published but we We write and we have this identity as writers and then Mm. trying to do the other marketing stuff is so hard. So this is where when I found you, I was like, oh, what does this guy have to say? And I feel like there's so much we could talk about and I kind of don't want to be too formal about this either. But the, the other thing that I'm really curious about just as a podcaster is what is that space is the overlap between podcasting and writing? And so if you want to maybe give me I'm just curious to know a little bit more about your writing background what is your novel about if you want to tell me about it so I got the writing bug really really for real in my uh, late teens it became something I knew for sure that was part of my life I went through some rough years as a kid trying to figure out what I was doing I 
I didn't understand exactly who I was. From the youngest age, I had these silly ambitions like being an astronaut or the president. And I think that sounds like any kid, yeah, honestly. Yeah, so that's, that's yeah. what I was going to say. And, and But it lingered a little bit longer for me. And to the point where I remember a conversation with my mom, and I was at boarding school at the time, and she'd come for a, a brief visit. And she had to tell me, like, you actually can't be the president because you have a criminal record. And you, so you can't do that which I don't think she's entirely correct. I think that my record is not that bad, so I don't want to misrepresent, <laughs> but um, I got myself into some actual trouble. And mm-hmm. I had to sort of reframe my thought process. And some of that exploration led me to realize there is a desire in me to whatever it's going to be, excel. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten some tips along the way about you're a good writer. You express yourself well on the page. I'd had a a principal who had told me that, and then into my early college years, I'd gotten more reinforcement that my writing stood out. And I kind of took it as one of those things, people have to say nice things about you, but when it started to echo enough from different sources over years, I think that really did push me over the edge. And I thought, Mm -hmm. this is something that I've always loved to do. It's come naturally to me. And more so than verbally, I feel like I can express my truest self on the page. Yeah. Um, And did you study writing in college or what was... Yeah. So when I realized that writing was an actual major that I could take, and not journalism, because I knew I wasn't particularly inclined toward that direction, Mm -hmm. um, I went to just a local university here in Omaha, and uh, I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts in Fiction Focus, which was great. And I had a real awakening because my advisor for a brief period of time told me I was the worst writer she'd ever seen because I didn't have an understanding of how punctuation worked, which, (laughs) let's be honest, I used commas way too much. Um, You should have gone the E.E. Cummings route and just (laughs) abandoned it altogether. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes, I, I love, I love that poetry actually as far as poetry goes he was the first one that i thought okay this is really something because yeah yeah it's it's its own voice yeah i'm not i have to confess i i wish i liked poetry more than i did and some poetry i like i love but i feel like i have a hard time with a lot of it but anyways i'm a huge fan of the comma myself too so i will just (laughs) declare that right now yes when in doubt do is actually my my opinion on the comma still so i did go on to get my master of fine arts from eastern washington university shout out to greg Ah. spatz and sam ligan amazing professors both and natalie kush really good staff there and as much as I regret the debt that I took away from that and possibly my missed expectations of thinking that an MFA was just another avenue into actual publishing, unless you go to Columbia or one of the really big schools, that's not the truth. You're not going to leave with a publishing deal out of an MFA. And I, mm-hmm. I wish more students knew that going in, what the real expectations should be, because it's a great time, especially to learn new authors mm-hmm. and literary fiction. Those are the yeah. two things that you should expect to be an expert at when you leave. Right. I will say I I went to college at Northeastern University. I started off as an English major because I think I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I did enjoy reading a lot and I enjoyed writing, but I don't think I was like really hooked into writing at that point. I was just yeah. trying to figure myself out. 
But then after my first semester, although Northeastern at that point we had quarters. So after the first quarter, I had joined the Northeastern Choral Society and I had sung in choruses throughout my whole high school and junior high and going way back and I loved music too. Well, this was the first time I was really exposed to classical music and I felt absolutely in love with it. So Mm. I decided I must be a music major. So... (laughs) went out of English and into music, and then I took on the additionally highly valued philosophy minor to um, wow. yeah. contribute to my <laughs> saleability. Yes. It was it was quite the soup in your brain. At that yeah, <laughs> exactly. So anyway, I do have some of that regret that at this point in my life, many years later, I have not read all the things that I go, oh, man, I am so woefully underread. And there's so many, mm. you know, literary fiction things I know I want to read and should read. And I read books about writing and and I've taken a lot of writing classes. And again, I always feel so behind the curve. But to be a writer, one really also just must write. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think the MFA route is helps. It gives you a leg up yeah. in a lot of different ways. But I mean, clearly, is if you say it's not a straight route to the... To publishing. Yeah, I know of honestly within about the six year span when before I came and ended or so, one person who's now published with a big five publisher, a couple who have gotten some small press books out there. But yeah, you really have to hustle. And I don't love that word, but I do think that there's some truth to it. Yeah, well, I think for anything, especially in a creative field that you're passionate about really doing, it's as we know, we put at least as much time in on this reluctant marketing work as we do on the creative yes. side of it. So how did you come to the podcast and how long have you been podcasting? I had all of these ideas about how I wanted to blend the life that I wanted together with something that I thought was a reasonable way to make an income which podcasting is almost as unreasonable as writing to make an income in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Put the two together. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, And that is actually part of it is that I do know, and this is kind of like my marketing hat for a moment. I do know that putting my voice in your ears does something unique that not even I can do on Twitter. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there's some very great science out there as to why this is the truth, but just my voice in your ears builds trust. And as long as I am authentic and I continue to push forward with a consistent message and you know what to expect from me, that level of trust is going to translate into the ability then to say, these are the things that I value. We've shared this together. Here's something I wrote. I know you're going to value it because we've been on this journey together. But honestly, um, the reluctant part of the marketer comes in right here because Mm -hmm. we're talking about how did I become a podcaster? It's because I wanted to market myself. And I was really scared to say, hey, buy my book. That's just mm-hmm. a scary thing for me to ask somebody to do, buy right. my book. And right. so I had the idea that FSG would do that for me. Somebody in their editorial department or their marketing team would set up the whole campaign. And the only thing I'd be responsible for was to show up and do a reading at Powell's. And the rest is magic. Wait, the, can you just fill in yeah. FSG though? Because oh I'm yeah, not- I'm sorry about that. Yeah, Ferrar, Strauss, and Giraud. I may slightly be mispronouncing it, but uh, it's a publisher. One of inside of the big five. Oh, okay. See, 
we don't know what we don't know over here. <laughs> uh, totally, this, totally this fine. One. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And no, I should, thank you. I should assume that, that everybody does not know FSG. It's my own personal <laughs> dream to be with FSG, right. not Got anybody it. else's. So yeah, the hard part is to say buy my book. It's funny that you say that because that's a step that is so far ahead of me. I can't quite <laughs> envision it yet. Yeah. So to buy my book, yeah, I can't imagine saying some of the things I think out loud to myself frequently is like, oh, don't listen to my podcast. I don't know if you're really mm. going to like it. Like, I am the worst salesperson for myself. But at yeah. the same time, I will say, I don't want to sound haughty by saying this or um, vain. I love my podcast. Like, I yeah, me too. love doing it. I love I love your podcast, too. I love... I love, and I think this is the intimacy thing you're referring to, I love the chance to spend time with a person one-on-one -on -one talking about a thing that's important to us. And I think that that's at the core of what pretty much any podcaster really is trying to do is to connect with someone. It's about that connection that happens. And I am very much a one-on-one -on -one person. I have mm. never been like a big, like, let's go to a big party and mingle. Yeah. I'm very much an introvert. So in a funny way, I think that the writing podcasting overlap is kind of a, a hidden gem. Maybe it's not hidden. Yeah. It's just a gem, but it's such a great way for a writer to try and meet other writers, to meet readers, to meet an audience. And I think talking with other writers, there's certainly plenty of, I think there's plenty of authors out there and other writers that are trying to do that. So mm -hmm. I don't know. That's not even a question, but it seems like that's how you found yourself in the desire. Like you did it as a marketing strategy, which does yeah. make sense. So I guess the question maybe is like, is there something that you have discovered that you love about podcasting that you weren't anticipating? Yeah. So the, the overlap is a lot, like you say, one of the things I didn't expect is that there is a comfort for an introvert. And I do identify as an introvert as well. There's a comfort in knowing that you have control of the conversation and these things I say sometimes, I, I hear them as if I'm like um, auditing myself. And then I think, well, you know, control is a negative word. But I think it's true and that you're just, you're able to express yourself in a safe way. And if things don't go the right way, you have a bunch of choices that you don't necessarily yep. have in real life. And I really like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's similar to the page as well. You had yeah. mentioned that you'll edit this conversation. And I say the same thing to my guests. It's so nice to know that kind of the messy bits of this we get to take out and we get to build this perfectly designed conversation that really happened but we take out like the, the boring bits and that's exactly nice. exactly and it's like editing an essay a story yes. it's like what is the story i'm really trying to tell it's yes. not that i am hiding something from you i think there's <laughs> yeah. sometimes there's a lot of like well this was edited it's like well mm -hmm. yeah i took out the really boring diversions and the things like and if you depending on what i end up leaving in you're like well what did they take out if she left in all <laughs> yeah, those exactly. diversions but still <laughs> you know we take out the things that detract from what the meaning is and that's yeah. the thing that we can streamline it for the listener hopefully mm -hmm. to be 
impactful and to have value and the thing so I come from the radio world too so I spend 30 years in radio and there's so much overlap with podcasting and radio but one of the things being involved with someone's ears alone and yes I know YouTube's out there too that's Mm -hmm. fine there's no shortage of audience there but when you can take us along with you and we can take someone along with us on our walk in the car as we're folding laundry as whatever we're doing, we always would say at our radio station, we take your time and make it more valuable. And that's what I think podcasting does as well. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I so much agree with you. And the, the things that you mentioned, folding laundry is actually one of my favorite activities because <laughs> it's it's mindless enough yeah. that it uh, allows the podcast to fully immerse you, but it's busy enough that you don't feel like you're wasting your time. I, I love that partnership right there. Yeah, yeah, it is a good one. It's like makes laundry not so bad, really. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question here, but maybe you answered it. it Is that what you love most about your podcast or what did you not anticipate before you started it? Because so I came, as I said, I came from the radio world. I was very Mm -hmm. used to all the editing. Like what's it been like for someone who I'm guessing doesn't have much of that production background at least? I have no production background. I, I knew nothing about this before I started the podcast. I didn't know what I didn't know and that's always dangerous. It gives us great Uh, confidence. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I feel like, oh, I can, (laughs) sure, we can do that. Yes, that's actually such a good point, too. As far as writing goes or any art goes, if you had any clue what your journey was going to be like when you started, I promise people wouldn't start. I mean, they would be the very rare intrepid person who would choose to do this if they understood what they were really in for, because it can be miserable. The creating is almost never miserable, but almost all the rest of it is miserable. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I actually just took a class last night. I'm always trying to find different classes to like help me at what stage I'm at. And it was a class Mm -hmm. uh, on revision with Maya Shanbag Lang, who is amazing and has an amazing memoir. I have not read the nonfiction, I mean her fiction, but just when I hear people's different journeys in talking about revision, she shared with us how many drafts and how many versions of things she went through before she got to a yes. And on my podcast before, Elena Dillon has shared, I mean, she switched genres before she ended up getting, she switched three agents. It's so depressing. In a funny way, the thing about the writing, because I consider myself a fearful writer, I have trouble, you know, I write nonfiction. Yeah. I I don't talk about this all yeah. the time, but I um, <laughs> I do think about what do I feel okay putting down on a piece of paper? Mm. And when I think of the odds stacked against me about it ever being out there, it makes one a little bolder to say, what the heck? I just, why not yeah. give our best effort to it? There's a, a thing that they, they say in the MFA. So this is a, a little bit of value I would have not gotten outside of the MFA, but uh, especially Sam, my, my advisor, uh, in class, he said that they did an exercise um, all the time at a workshop he was at, that you, you take the moment that you're most ashamed of or most traumatized by, and you write that moment in a public way. Yeah, exactly. Very yeah. scary. But everybody over and over and over again would say this was the moment where I figured out how I need to write. Mm. Because when you confront your shame, some really strange things start to come out. And it clarifies your writing in a, an amazing way. 
that was that was a great lesson I learned. I don't know that I do it often enough. Mm-hmm. And there's a nice thing about fiction, which I almost exclusively write, mm-hmm. that you don't need to tell anybody that this is your shame on the page. It's somebody else's shame, but it still has a similar effect. Yeah, I, I can understand that, certainly. And that's the thing, as I've listened to your podcast, and as I've taken um, some writing classes that contain both fiction and nonfiction writers, that's another interesting point where I think I learned so much about writing through hearing people talk about writing all kinds of genres. So the act is sort of the same. It's just the lens you use to tell what kind of story you're going to tell. Yes. I've found I have more in common with my fiction my fiction brethren and sistren, <laughs> brothers and sisters, than uh, than I think I would have guessed uh, like earlier yeah. on trying to write stuff about me. Yeah, have you run into Brad Listy before? He's one of the like oh. uh, early founders of podcasting. He has a show called Other People where he interviews authors. It in some ways actually reminds me of what you do. Oh, really? And he just released his second book, so it took him the better part of twelve years to write the book, be brief, and tell them everything. And uh, that book, it's he calls it a novel, which I think is funny because it's pretty much not a novel. Right, it's right. pretty much a memoir. Interesting. Um, and yeah, I, I think he's doing some really interesting things there. His discussion, again, a lot of the things you've said have really reminded me of that being kind of a reluctant writer, being a fearful writer, sort of rehashing mm-hmm. a lot of these moments and feeling like I'm losing steam or I came out at the wrong angle, all those different things. I'm so soothed listening to his journey uh, because oh. it definitely yeah, I will mirrors. definitely have to check him out. So it's called Other People. Yeah, and it's uh, Brad Listy. That's probably the easiest way because he spells other people kind of strangely. Um, L-I-S-T-I. That's excellent. Well, I'm always looking for another writing podcast to listen to. Yeah, I listen to him regularly. I do. I will confess, I enjoyed him more in the early days. Mm -hmm. There's something about us that we start to play it a little safer uh, as we get further into our fame. (laughs) <laughs> it's coming for yeah, us. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. And, and he does. He he does play it a little bit safer now, which I enjoy. Sometimes, I, this is a confession I don't know if I make very publicly often. I sometimes like when people say boneheaded things um, and express like an opinion that they shouldn't have. Yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> Even know. Even though you're like, I hope you change. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess there's something about that candor that... Um, I don't know if trust is the right word, but, you know, you're like, okay, well, if you're willing to say that, you know. Yeah, I mean, there are different levels. I'm certainly not encouraging people to have terrible beliefs. I'm just saying there does seem to be a, a sense of, like, discovery along the way that I like. Right. And I I filter myself too much as it is, mm. I guess. It's, it's, so it's nice to see other people make a mistake because you think, okay, it's not the end of the world. Right, right. And I think generosity and forgiveness are also other things that we need to see modeled Mm. more frequently in the world, frankly. So that's something I think about a lot. What is it that you, because you seem to at least present yourself with a passion for the marketing part of it. And I actually really love and was drawn to the enthusiasm for that part of it. So What is your passion with the marketing part? Have you like found a niche, a niche, a niche? I can't say that word. A n- <laughs> Any a way you want to, yeah. That? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
let me back up because earlier on I was kind of approaching this and I think that this is the aha moment for me. Now, I've been in some version of sales for almost my entire professional uh -huh. career before I left. Okay. I did insurance sales. I sold sunglasses out of the back of my trunk to gas stations. I've sold a variety of different wow. things. Wow, yeah. And it is like putting on a different hat uh, because, right. as I said, I am an introvert. And so that way that you can kind of embody a different character and be a different person, I like that. That's pretty satisfying mm. to me. And as long as I believed in what I was selling, that I thought it was going to benefit the person who was going to buy it, then I felt really good about it. And the moment I tried to sell something I didn't believe in, it was excruciating, which is great because I had come to a point right before I started my podcast where I was working for a marketing company. I was working for a company that sold direct mail marketing. And I knew in the back of my head that direct mail marketing was going out of style. I knew that it wasn't beneficial for almost anybody. It still works for Little Caesars, Pizza Hut, those kind of places. But mom and pop shops, it wasn't. And they were really pushing me to, to try to sell to that niche or niche. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was in agony. And I was talking to my wife constantly about how much I hated what I was doing and I, I looked at her and I said, well, we've got some rental houses that, that we've accumulated over the years. How about I quit and we start selling the houses? You don't like being a landlord anyway. And she was so enthusiastic that it was really a stamp. This is the moment to jump all in on the writing, on the marketing, the book, on getting myself ready to dive into what I'm really passionate about. And maybe at the end I have to go back and get a job, but I've got at least a three-year runway. So... I've been doing this now for six months. Right. I started the podcast about nine months ago, but I launched six months ago. So it's really recent. Good. Twitter, I started in March. Yeah. So it's, it is all fairly recent. But that was the key for me is realizing I sell things when I'm passionate about them. And so I have to convince myself that my book is not a liability. My podcast is not a liability. Both of these things are designed and created to help people. Yes. My my novel is going to help you whether you're simply entertained by it or you find some sort of philosophical engagement with it, mm -hmm. which I won't write something that I don't have a philosophical question that I'm mulling over mm. in my head. And so I think that that's really deeply injected into the book. And I know that some people love to write for entertainment and I celebrate that, but I want both. I want engagement and entertainment. Right. right. So. And that's what you're doing on Twitter too. So you've... Yeah. You ask questions all the time. If whoever, you, my friend listening, if you have not been on Twitter and seen <laughs> Jody's questions, I heartily uh, endorse, follow this guy. He's got <laughs> great questions every day. You reply to what people say. A writing community on Twitter is also something that I see many tweets of the surprise and delight of the support and volume of yes. writing on Twitter that exists. Yeah, for a community that otherwise you hear is full of rage and political divisiveness and uh, racism, just the list goes on and on. All of that does exist on Twitter, and it's as if there are different versions of Twitter. It's a whole other universe. The Twitter that we exist inside of is so supportive, so kind, so enthusiastic. I get maybe one troll a month, somebody mm -hmm. who wants to make my day bad, and it's become so funny to me that somebody wants to do that, that I'm, I just block them and go about my day. Honestly, I will be honest about this. Every good thing that's happened to me from a marketing perspective has happened through Twitter. I've been really shocked. It's been the primary platform to build the podcast. I met you through Twitter, which I'm so grateful for. 
I'm collaborating with another self-publishing podcast that mm-hmm. I think is amazing, and I would not have known about any of this without Twitter. So I, I can't say enough about it, but it yeah. is a lot of time. I do spend a lot of time Right, there. right. And you're pretty transparent about that. And in your podcast, <laughs> yeah. you talk about what you do, and you're like, okay, if you're willing to spend a couple yes. hours on Twitter every day, and I go... Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah, and I, I mean, you can definitely scale it down. You won't see the kind of results that I have. It does have a lot to do with right. kind of acting like a part-time job. But uh, yeah, no matter what, you'll see really nice results from it. Yeah, I mean, and I think there's something very gratifying about the fact that it is, I don't know if I can call it a method, you know, you can engage in a certain way and anticipate a certain response and Mm -hmm. it's quite genuine and there's lots of back and forth about things i mean it is twitter it's short but the other thing that kind of works about that for me is that i came from the background of producing on-air promos in radio so i lived in a 15 and 30 second world so i feel sort of like a sound bite machine and i think okay i need to just ramp up the number of like you know quotes from my most recent guest or you know ideas that i have or questions that i have and i'm a big question asker in my writing so i think that that's an interesting approach and i go all right i could ask some questions and then i think okay i have like two and then (laughs) it's the build-up so you spend a decent amount of time curating Mm -hmm. and putting it all together so that you can and you load them remind me the service that you use because i was going to check it out i think it's great it's free it's called buffer.com and it's just so easy to use it's intuitive you can schedule your tweets so that you know when they're coming out and that element of it it's very frequent i have a version of it on my phone and on my laptop so that any moment that a question related to writing pops into my head i'll just stop what i'm doing and quickly load that in Mm. to be the next tweet and a free version of it you can have 10 at any time i honestly have never found that i have more than 10 questions at any given time so really freebie works well for me it's hard to come up with these questions but uh, yeah it's a great service and it takes out i think one of the biggest pains is, is trying to remember to interact Yeah, you have to kind of plug in and Mm -hmm. respond. And there's something, you know, I get the addictiveness of that because I do find myself like constantly going back to my phone like, oh, did I get any likes? You know, and someone else followed me and and it's fun. And then I go, how am I going to manage it, but manage it? I responsibly sounds yeah. a little mamby pamby to say, but you know, in a way that doesn't drive yourself crazy. So, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that there's something important about reevaluating the way that we're using social media. I think I've said it on my podcast before, but I'm happy to say it here too. Don't use social media to be a family member or a friend. Actually use it to interact with your target community. You'll build friends, that's natural, and you'll start to care about their life outside of writing. But I say pick up the phone and call your family and friends and use social media as a place to live out your passion for whatever you're here to do, whether that's podcasting, writing, music, memoir, whatever you're doing, that's where we should do this. Yeah, I agree. I think that I do try and target specifically, okay, this is what I'm going to do on this platform. So I'm taking the slow and steady tortoise approach. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you did mention recently about how 
your life has changed since hitting 10,000 followers on Twitter. What like yeah. and you took this big jump away from full-time job mm-hmm. to I am going to do this thing. So how is that feeling with you know without putting too much pressure on you there but you've really i mean you've dedicated yourself quite seriously yeah so and it has too i i have uh, like i said i when i was a kid i wanted to be president i wanted to mm-hmm. go to the moon all of those things so i am a person who appreciates good hyperbole but i was very careful when i used that phrase in that particular podcast about hitting 10,000 followers on twitter it has changed my life Part of that I've alluded to already is that the relationships that I've built through Twitter didn't exist in any other form. And somebody else might be great at Instagram, so I don't want to say it's like that. I just, it has also taught me to be more comfortable with some of the things that I'm naturally uncomfortable about. Mm. I can't explain to you why it's easier for me to sell a pair of sunglasses to somebody who owns a 7-Eleven than it is for me to say, here's my book. I want you to buy and read this because I think you'll love it. Mm-hmm. That's hard for me. I'm not sure why. Yeah. Um, and Twitter is starting to you know, break that nut, I guess. That nutshell is starting to come apart. And I realize yeah. people are responding to what I'm doing. And every single day, I'm not going to lie. Every single day, I wake up thinking I'm going to bring new followers in who are potential new podcast listeners, who are potential book buyers. And if that's my mindset when I'm doing it, then I might as well be transparent and tell you that's what I'm doing. And what I found out from all of these people is that nobody cares. Now, some people actually mm-hmm. like don't care and that they're not going to ever buy my book, and that's great. Right, right. <laughs> but nobody cares that I'm trying to sell them the book because if they want right. to buy it, they want to buy it, and it's for them. Exactly. So excited. Exactly. Yes, yeah. I know. You're reaching people who want to hear what you have to say, and yeah. that is truly the exciting thing. That's, that's the thing that I have the highest aspiration for, I will say, for my podcast. And because, I don't know, because I just love audio and I love production and I love podcasting so much. It's Mm -hmm. hard. I find it hard to distinguish if I'm, I feel more like a podcaster who loves writing than a writer who loves podcasting. But I am really pretty close to that 50-50 mark because I love both very much. Yeah. And they they do different things. And that's why I really also love inviting people to read their work so that's the other part of it so yes one of my favorite parts of your podcast is hearing people read their work in their voice in the I'm moment i'm so glad <laughs> yeah, i love it that means a lot to me thank you yeah i wanted to ask you as far as the the podcast goes and your writing which parts do you feel are more alive for you in what form so what what's more alive in writing in a oh. memoir kind of setting versus the podcast oh gosh that's that's a really good question um I think I know the answer pretty immediately um it is this writerly word that I learned within the past year or so which is interiority (laughs) I love the interiority and that is the thing that I kind of roll around in when I'm writing I mean I just yeah I talk to my imaginary reader who is maybe about two or three hundred years down the road. <laughs> yeah. This is my own. I love it. I've never really said this before. But I I imagine someone who's gonna look back and say, What was life like back in, you know, the late nineteen hundreds, early two thousands? <laughs> yeah. Um 
as a kid, I loved reading Laura Ingalls Wilder. And I think I had that little fantasy. Like, I wished I could bring her into my 1970s childhood and be her friend and show her what a light switch was and go drive somewhere (laughs) in a car and we would be so advanced. So that's what I love about writing is, I guess, the envisioning of being seen and heard on the page. Hmm. For the podcast... I like hearing how other people are doing that. Mm. Like, I am looking for the role modeling in writing that I need to be brave enough to say the things that I think I want or need to say. Yeah. That's so well summed up in in the title of your show, Dare to Tell, um, Daring to Tell, is, is just bravery that it takes to do this in whatever form it is uh yeah. I, I bet you that most people listening don't fully feel how difficult it is even in a safer place to try to express yourself because um, mm-hmm. there's take backs if you're not recording there's take backs if you don't have it on the page yeah yeah exactly and and the thing that i like about both the podcasting and the writing is that time for pause and reflection because those take backs are real you know i mean i might say i'm really i feel this way about this thing this thing happened to me and then a week goes by and i go oh i've been thinking about this thing or more likely i'm not the person who says i feel this way i go oh i have no idea what i (laughs) what i think about something yes and it's not until I like mull it over for a couple of weeks and listen to things on the topic or whatever that I start to formulate. And I'm very much a situational person. Like, well, in this situation, I could imagine that when people I, I volunteer in a local bookstore and the other day, one of the other volunteers was asking me a question about this book and she's like where do you think it should go like what genre where should it you know would it be history would it be politics would it be this or that and I like came up with every reason for every categorization and she's like and so what do you think I was like (laughs) oh I'm really not sure I guess I could look for it in any I'm like so awful at declaring (laughs) I don't know yeah Yep, I completely understand that. I, I share that, that it's, it's really difficult to just, yeah, to say label something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, because I might change my mind. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I am such a person that advocates for and respects the possibility mm-hmm. to change one's mind about something. Because yes. I feel like I change my mind all the time. I do. In fact, it's funny you say that right now, because more so in the last two or three days, I've asked a, a handful of questions where people are like, oh, it depends on. And I would say, I agree, it totally depends on. But what do you think right now? Like in this moment, just answer me mm-hmm. off the cuff, because I give you permission to change your mind. I've tweeted that to so many people the last couple of days. I give you permission to change your mind. It's fine. That's nice. That's <laughs> nice we need more permission to change our mind (sighs) well jody i feel like we could keep talking for a very long time i did want to give a little just of your most recent episodes that i so loved i loved hearing from barbara graham Mm. you spoke with her her book that's coming out very soon if it's not out already is what jonah knows what jonah knew what Jonah knew. What it comes Jonah out knew. July 8th. So it's probably out by the time yep. listeners will be hearing this. You talk about 
being impatient. You talk about meditation. I love yeah. these topics. I will also say, though, I was madly in love with your episode with Emily Anger. I heartily endorse good enough marketing. Yes. As much yeah. as that. That was a br like, what a brilliant idea. I am not a perfectionist. I am such a proponent of it's good enough. And mm -hmm. when we're trying to market ourselves, it's like, don't drive yourself crazy. Do it just good enough. So yes, you find great people and have great conversations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to do and to talk to those people and how much they've taught me really. Cause like you've said, you, you edit out some of the conversation and some is useful to me that I still think is not necessarily broadly mm -hmm. uh, valuable. So, That's so nice. Yeah. Take yeah. exactly. That's you are, you are in charge. You get to pick what goes out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Is there anything else? I really enjoyed talking with you. I, and yeah. I hope we might keep in touch and talk again about how yeah. we are progressing on our platforms and all that. Yeah, we have to. We have to. I, I love what you're doing. So I'll obviously be listening to this podcast for as long as you're making it. Your guests <laughs> oh, are thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. It's really funny. I think multiple times I've reached out to you and just said, your episode was like more or less like church to me because I needed oh. to hear that at like a spiritual level. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be in touch. It's been so much fun. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Well, what a delight that was. I mean, that was just the most flattering thing. It, it means so much to me that the work that I've done is reaching someone. I mean, that's really what it's all about. Okay, so a follow-up. The huge question that I left unasked in our conversation was when he mentioned the thing about a criminal record because it caught me by surprise and I didn't really want to bite. I tend to not do that when I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I should ask about that. But I followed up in an email and said, what happened? Well, when he was 16, he went with some friends to a college party where he was more or less tricked into becoming dangerously drunk, his words. And then after a meandering night, I will editorialize to say poor Jody became a very sorrowful drunk and his quote friends allowed him to wander off alone and that was when the cops found him were concerned about his condition it was just a bit of a drunken night gone awry he ended up being held for observation well that just sounds awful and personally jody if this is the worst thing in your closet and you still want to run for president well I say, go for it. I also hadn't followed up because I realized I was curious to know if he was still with his agent, and yes, indeed he is. And right now, his manuscript is in the hands of a few editors, so we will send him some good energy out into the universe. Hopefully something will get picked up. I will put Jody's description of his speculative noir novel in the show notes, and you can find him now with well over 10,000 followers on Twitter at Jody J. Sperling, and you can listen to his podcast called The Reluctant Book Marketer from your podcast app of choice. Links for these things are all in the show notes. You can follow me too. I would love to crack maybe the 300 mark on Twitter. 
I don't know. Uh, I'm the slow and steady kind of gal. I also have a newsletter that if you would like, I send it out once a month. It's called Hit Pause because if this slow-paced person here needs to go any slower, that's what I do. I hit pause. Uh, sign up on my website, michellerado.com. On the first Tuesday of August, a new Daring to Tell episode comes out. It is with writer Tanya Coates, who is a physician, a writer, and a mother. She will read her essay that is called To Do No Harm. You don't want to miss it. So that's it. Thank you so much to my musician husband, Phil Rado, for his amazing music. And most of all, thank you for sticking around till the bitter end and for daring to listen. Stay brave. And nothing's gonna break my fall There's nothing in the protocol It's like swimming up waterfall Or taking away the ground Taking away the ground It's like taking away the ground